Today, uh, we are going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we are studying the book of 1 Corinthians uh, together. Uh, there's a lot of uh, good things to learn. And there, there's really not, as you think of the book of 1 Corinthians, there's really not just one thing that it's about. It's one of the largest letters in the New Testament. And he covers a lot of different topics. And so that's what's going to be fun about this study. Is one week we, we will be studying unity in the church. And then we'll be studying God's wisdom. And then we'll be studying sex and marriage and relationships and spiritual gifts. And uh, the resurrection from the dead. There's a ton of things we are going to hit in this study. And so let's jump into 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And we're going to read verses 6 through 16, and, um, and then we will pray. So are you in uh, 1 Corinthians 2? All right, here we go, verses 6 to 16. Let's read it together. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of, of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to comprehend them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, gathering us, and I thank you for your presence among us. I thank you for preserving your word for us, God. I pray that now you would speak to us through the preaching of your word. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, and that you would open our eyes to see the beauties of your word. And so give us understanding we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you were here last week, and if you weren't here last week, I mean, all these um, messages are online, and you can find them on the website or YouTube or, or podcast or whatever. You can catch up later. But just to review a little bit, last week, Paul basically said that we don't know God through human wisdom and that the things of God are actually foolish to those who believe. So if we want to know God, it's not necessarily just based on intellectual pursuits, 
It's something deeper than that. The gospel is folly to those who are perishing, he says. But um, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we talked about a lot of last week about foolishness, how our message is foolish to the world. They don't understand the cross, the gospel, that the people of God are foolish to the world. As he, he looks over the church. He's like, not many of you were that special, were that impressive, but God chose you. Chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And then our proclamation, our ministry is foolish to the world. How, how, why in the world are we going out and proclaiming this message that seems to be foolish? Now, after he gives us all of that about how you cannot know God merely based on your human wisdom... He now clarifies that by saying all of that, by no means is he saying that God doesn't have wisdom. So he's not saying, hey, because uh, the message of God is foolishness to the world, he's not saying the message is foolish. And he, because you can't know God mere, based on human wisdom, he's not saying God doesn't have wisdom. In fact... God has the best wisdom. It's just that the world doesn't understand it. And so we're going to see three things about the wisdom of God, okay? So God's wisdom is first off, it is um, hidden from uh, the world. Let's go back to verse 6. God's wisdom is hidden from uh, the world. Verse 6 says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Let's, let's stop there. Among the mature, who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Is he talking about mature Christians? Is he talking about those who are mature because they have come to faith in Christ? Their eyes have been opened. And so in comparison to the unbelieving world, they have now become mature to the things of God. Is that what he's saying? Possibly. There's this debate about this. Um, um, is the mature... Uh, the, the, the difficulty is because it seems like in this text, he's contrasting the mature with the unbelieving, with the natural man or the unbelieving world. Um, but in chapter 3, verse 1, just, so just the next verse from our text, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And so then he gives us, in, like maybe he's contrasting Infants in Christ, babes in Christ, the immature in Christ with the mature in Christ. I mean, 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, uh, be mature. So it does seem like there's, maybe he's leaning towards these are people who have not only accepted the things of Christ, they're saved, but they're also pursuing the things of Christ. They are seeking understanding of the wisdom of God. He continues and says in verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. I'm sorry, I skipped over. I didn't even finish verse 6. Yet among the mature we impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, 
None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he talks about this secret and hidden wisdom, hence the title of the sermon, a sacred secret, that God's wisdom is hidden and secret. And who is it hidden from? He says, none of the rulers of the age understand this, that they are doomed to pass away. The rulers of the age, who are these people? Well, I think we have to, uh, it could be uh, many, many people, but um, rulers are people who influence the broad school of thought in society. It's those who control public opinion and dominate secular wisdom. So think about the people who have tremendous influence over public opinion. So you can think about maybe uh, politicians or celebrities or uh, famous philosophers uh, or nowadays it's influencers. You could be recording from your bedroom and streaming it online and somehow gain millions of followers and then what you say has tremendous impact on the consciousness of large groups in society. And so these people are the ones that are shaping what the world understands as wisdom. They rule the wisdom of the day. In, in Jesus' day, this would have been like the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the religious leading body where it was made up of, of Pharisees and Sadducees, so different uh, camps inside Judaism would come together to rule over uh, the church, now, or at that time, the temple. Um, and so for them, it was them. They had tremendous impact on the thought or the wisdom of God's people, and then, and then also um, the rulers of Jesus' age would have been people like Pilate, the one who ultimately put him to death. And he's saying that these people didn't see it. They were blinded to it. And um, he, he goes on to say, if they would have known, verse 8, none of the rulers understood this, for if they had... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they would have seen it, if they would have known, if they would have known what God was doing in the world, they would have never crucified Jesus because they would have seen Christ for who he is. So it is also interesting how God uses the ignorance of some people hiding things from them so that they will act in such a way to accomplish God's plan of redemption. So he's not... I mean, I guess in this passage, he's saying that human wisdom is helpful. Um, I mean, he even calls it wisdom. He doesn't say human so-called wisdom. He he calls it wisdom. There's things helpful that you can learn uh, in the world. He's not saying don't get an education or pursue greater knowledge or understanding. He's saying, what he's saying here, is that human wisdom is limited, It's limited. One way that human wisdom is limited is that it's limited by time, that it is temporal. If you go back to verse 6, you'll see that the rulers of this age who guard this wisdom of the age, they're doomed to pass away. It's like this, this wisdom is temporal. You can only know so much of it, and it's passing away. Um, There's a, I I read one thing about the Library of uh, Congress Uh, This week, it said currently the Library of Congress houses 18 million books, 
American publishers add another 200,000 titles to this stack each year. This means that at the current publishing rate, 10 million new books will be added in the next 15 years. Add together the dusty Library of Congress volumes with the shiny new and forthcoming books, and you will get a bookshelf warping total of 28 million books available for the English reader in the next 50 years. But you can read only 2,600 books because you are a wildly ambitious book devourer. For every one of the books that you choose to read, you must ignore 10,000 other books simply because you don't have time. Human knowledge is limited. It's limited in your ability to possess it. There's so much there, and you only have, you're limited by their time. YouTube, one person estimated that has 800 million videos on YouTube. And he averaged out all the time of those videos and everything and said, if you were to watch every video that's on YouTube today, not even including all the videos that will be added, it would take you 17,810 years watching continuously. That's not including all your podcasts or your uh, online college lectures or all the other knowledge that we have available to us. What he's saying is that you are, human knowledge is limited in your ability to consume it because you only have so much time. You have to select what you're going to digest. But it's also limited in, um, in the fact that human wisdom will pass away, that it has an expiration date. He's not saying that our knowledge isn't valuable. It's simply admitting the reality that there are limits to knowledge and learning. Even with all the knowledge that is acquired, it's still limited by time because it will pass away. It does not endure forever. How does that compare to God's wisdom? Well, we see in verse 7, but we impart the secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed, before the ages. So this wisdom of God existed before anything else existed. Before the ages, before the foundation of the world. God's wisdom was decreed. And then he says it was decreed before the ages for our glory. Now the thing is that for our glory? Because I'm fond of saying for God's glory. Like, I'm not for my glory, I'm for God's glory. If you try to compliment me, normally I'm trying to dodge it. You know, it's like, glory to God, glory to God, because that's what we should do as people, is give glory to God. So why does he say that he did this for our glory? I think what he's saying is our glory in heaven. That before time began, he decreed the wisdom so that we would experience his glory in heaven. He did this for our eternal glory, and we experience glory because we're reunited with Christ, who he says is the Lord of glory. And so if we are in Christ, we get to experience the glory of God. So it's not time bound. And we have eternity to absorb and digest and understand 
the riches of the wisdom of God. You ever think about that? That potentially, for the rest of eternity, you will be learning new things about the beauty of God's wisdom. Heaven will never get boring. I can guarantee that. So it's limited by time. It's also limited, human wisdom is limited by senses. There's a sensory uh, limit here. In verse 9, you see, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So he's, he's saying, look, uh, you can't perceive God's wisdom through, through what you see or hear or imagine. You can't perceive it by human pursuits. Many wrongly assume, I wouldn't say this is your thought, but there's a broad school of thought that believes that there's nothing that exists that we don't sense. You know, this is a naturalistic, humanistic worldview that, that, that um, the only things that are reality are things that I can see and touch and smell and taste and hear and examine and that there's no reality beyond that. That is it. Well, that is a limited uh, understanding. What he's saying here is that there's, there's more uh, to reality than our ability to sense. Um, he says even here that or the heart of man imagined. He's like, you can't even imagine. You can't even get at it with your imagination what God has prepared for those um, who, who love him. You can't achieve God's wisdom by human means, by sensory pursuits. He communicates this idea that the understanding of God is not perceivable by eyes or ears or the imagination. God's understanding is not limited by human categories of perception. One author said this, that it is rather presumptuous to claim that the only realities that are knowable are those that we can perceive. Paul is saying that many things can be perceived through the five senses, but certain things cannot be comprehensibly perceived with our senses. There are certain things that God has to reveal. And so God here, and in saying all that, that no heart, eye has seen, ears heard, heart imagine what God has prepared. What he's saying is that God's wisdom transcends our senses. Human wisdom is limited by our senses. God's wisdom transcends our senses. Well, that's interesting. Maybe you've heard that verse, verse 9. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, or heart on command, imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. He's quoting Isaiah 64, 4, but... Um, I've always thought about that verse as talking about heaven, haven't you? Maybe you've even heard it quoted at a, a funeral, talking about where they are spending, the person, the deceased is spending eternity. It's, it's unimaginable what God has prepared for those. That's how I always thought about this, thought about this verse. Um, but that's not what he's saying. Uh, he's not talking about heaven here. I mean, just look at the context. Because um, he says in verse 10, these things, these things that God has prepared for those who love him that no one can imagine, these things 
God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So He has not revealed heaven to us yet. But whatever this thing is that God's prepared for us, He has revealed to us, to those who love Him. So what is this secret and hidden wisdom? Well, Paul teaches about this to the church at Ephesus. And some believe that maybe he got into greater detail or depth with Ephesus because they were a little bit more of a mature congregation than the church at Corinth. But whatever the case is, he does go into some of this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I want to show this to you, where he talks about this mystery or this secret that God has. He says in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, this is the mystery, the secret wisdom, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, here it is, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So he tells us here that the mystery, the secret wisdom of God that was hidden in all the ages is that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but specifically that Gentiles are included in the family of God. That he's pursuing all of the world. So what he's saying is throughout redemptive history in all of the Old Testament, God's people, the nation of Israel, God's people, descendants of Abraham, they all longed for a Messiah that would one day save them and, and make all things right. And all the Old, Old Testament saints are saved by their faith in the promises of God. You know, Abraham had faith and it was counted to him as righteousness. The scripture says. And so they're having faith in this future thing that they don't totally understand. They know God's doing something. They believe God's going to fulfill his promises. But it's not quite clear because it was hidden from them. But I can guarantee they thought it was for the Jewish people. And he's saying part of the surprise that no one was expecting that no one saw coming, that no one could have seen or heard or imagined, was that God would save us through the cross of Christ, and that would include all peoples on the earth. It's no longer just for the Jewish people. It is for all people who have faith in Christ Jesus as their Lord. Jews and Gentiles, thank God for this. And so we, 2,000 years removed from this, Think, duh, 
This is the story of Christianity, that all people are welcome to come to faith in Christ. But this was scandalous for the Jewish audience. What are you telling me? That it's no longer just us? God's opening it up to everyone? It would have been a revealing of a mystery they had not known before. And so this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is far more than simply the the plan of salvation. It's all of God's wisdom that we will discover for all eternity, the depths of his wisdom, but all of that is only made possible through the gospel. Your eyes are opened through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the gospel applied to your life that helps you understand these things. So, God's wisdom is hidden from the world. Now now you might understand why unbelievers don't like believers. How is it that every religion, every world religion, is pretty much broadly accepted in society, except for Christians? Christians are the only ones you're allowed to make fun of, you're allowed to call names, Why is it just Christians? Well, it's not just that they don't like you. Um, It's not because you're wrong. It's because they don't see it. They can't understand it. It's hidden from them. But the good news is, point two, is that it's revealed by the Spirit. So not only is it hidden from the world, it's revealed by the Spirit. Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I love that. So he's like, the Spirit is the one who reveals this thing. You can't gain it by human human pursuits. It's the Spirit who has to reveal it to you. And he says, even the depths of God. See, Paul was also working with something where they were kind of accusing Paul of having a, a, a shallow message. Paul, we're talking, okay, we get it, the gospel, all right? We got, we've, got, we've accepted the gospel, we understand. Now tell us the deep things, Paul. Give us the deep stuff. And, and so he's like, I want you to know, um, the gospel is deep. The gospel is deep. Yes, it's the beginning point, but it's also how you live every day of your life. We don't exist apart from the gospel. It is part of the Christian life is is plumbing the depths of the gospel to see it from different perspectives and different sides and viewing it more beautifully. Someone last night at the Bible's Reader Banquet told me, uh, you know, the impact of this year had on their life. And one of the things they said was how you describe the graphic nature of Christ's crucifixion, how, how they beat his back and put this robe on his back and it most likely dried. You can imagine like ripping a Band-Aid off, but your entire back is ripped up and they rip off this garment and the excruciating. Man, I've never seen the, the cross from that perspective before. Telling me this with tears in her eyes. And I'm like, that's all. A couple, several weeks ago, I talked about Christ died on the cross screaming. I'd never seen that before. I had the words. I read the story. I'd never seen it from that depth before. And there's, your entire life should be, oh my goodness, seeing more beauty in what God did for us on the cross. Because it's God's wisdom 
and God's power. And they think it's foolishness, but it's not foolishness. He did it the best way possible. Verse 11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So he uses this kind of analogy about, you know, only you know your thoughts. Only the per- your spirit knows truly your thoughts. People only know you as much as you are willing to reveal your thoughts through words, right? And uh, so you kind of have some control over how well people know you based on what you are willing to share, uh, I think the same thing is, is true for that, that you, can, you can guess what your dog is thinking, right? Oh, I think he, he wants to go get an ice cream. That's what dogs think, isn't it? I think he wants to, I think he wants a treat. I think he wants to go outside. I think he wants, you know, watch TV. I think he, you know, you're guessing because the only way you truly know what that dog is thinking is if he was able to tell you what he was thinking. He might just be thinking, I want to annoy them. I want to annoy them more. They're sleeping so good. Here, let me wake them up. That's just what my toddlers are thinking. Um, Even so, we could guess what God is thinking. Um, We could guess about his wisdom, but we will really never know unless he tells us, right? The spirit, he says, is the one who knows the thoughts of God. So your spirit is the only one who truly knows your thoughts. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the only one who truly knows the thoughts of God, the depths of the thoughts of God. But then he says in verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of him who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by God. So he's like, yeah, the Spirit is the only one who who knows the mind of God, but then here's the thing, he gives you the Spirit. And so now you can know the mind of God. That's what he says in verse 16 at least. For who has understood the mind of the Lord to instruct him, but we have the mind Christ, now you have it because his spirit lives in you. When you're born again, um, God unites his spirit with your spirit, giving you access to the mind of Christ. If you flip over to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and you look down at verse 17, you will see that he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so whenever you're joined to the Lord, whenever you come to faith in Christ, His Spirit is now joined, united to your spirit, to where now you have access to the depths of the wisdom of God, to the mind of God. I love how he says here, though, he adds this little detail that what we have uh, received is the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, that God doesn't charge for this wisdom. It's not like that little video that comes across your Facebook feed that says, hey, I will, I will tell you the secret things on how to be successful in this five-minute video. Here's three points. And then you get to the end and you realize they haven't really told you anything except about their program. And then they conclude with, if you really want to know the next seven points, 
for really how to unlock your potential, to make it unlimited, your ability unlimited in life, then sign up for my course and it's only you know, $199 a month for whatever. There's always a catch, right? What, he, what God is saying uh, here, you know, in James 1, 5, he says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. So he's not stingy with it. And it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, you want the wisdom of God, ask him. He gives it freely. And so with God, you get premium content for free. Because the gospel is free. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's a gift of God's grace through faith in Christ. So how do we gain this wisdom? So it's hidden from the world and it's revealed by the Spirit. It can only be gained through the Spirit. So how do we get it? Final point is this. Uh, it, this wisdom is known by the spiritual. Look at verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit, and we get His wisdom through His God's divine self-revelation. He says that we impart this wisdom through Words. We. Who is he talking about when he says we? Who is the we? Impart this wisdom. Well, I think we have a hint at that verse we just read a little while ago in Ephesians chapter 3. If you look at verse 5 again there, he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So I think when he says, we impart this wisdom, he's referring to we, the apostles of Jesus Christ. And he says, we impart this wisdom through words. Through words. Again, if you're going to know the mind of someone, you can only know through what they are willing to express or reveal through their words. Well, what words does God reveal this wisdom through? Well, the words of the apostles. He just said that. We, the apostles, impart this wisdom of God through words. What are the words of the apostles? Well, I'm glad you asked. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, he says, Knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from some, someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think what he's saying here is that God has revealed this wisdom and, and we have imparted it, the apostles have imparted it through the scriptures that were directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. So this secret wisdom that was hidden throughout all the ages is available to us in the scriptures, primarily the New Testament is what he's revealing this new mystery. We have it right here. If you want to know the mind of God, read how he has revealed his mind to us. Now, some people take this whole secret wisdom teaching and they take it to, to mean 
that there's these secret hidden treasures that you can gain if you're more spiritual than everyone else and if you have a closer relationship with God and if you go and you see between the lines and you see the things that no one else is seeing and I got these secrets and let me tell you about the secrets and he's saying look it was a secret it's now revealed it's revealed through the apostles teaching and so if you want to know these secrets you don't have to go into your closet and oh and try to get transcendence so that I can access some realm where I get the secrets. I can open my Bible. You can do that in your closet if you want to. Make whatever noises when you do it, huh? But open your Bible if you want to know the secrets of God, if you want to know the wisdom of God. But it's far more than just reading the Bible for knowledge and for information. It's far more than just reading the Bible because he says these realities are hidden. So there's some people who read the Bible and they don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know what's so great about it. It's because it's hidden. Their eyes have not seen it. Jesus addresses this problem in in John 5, verse 39 and 40. He says, you search the scriptures. He's speaking to the religious leaders of his day. You understand these people were the highest educated people of their day in the scriptures. They knew them like no one else. They would speak to each other um, in only scripture references. So I would say something that's just a reference from the scripture, and then someone, they, they would respond with just a reference to scripture, and they would have conversations with just scripture references. That's how well they knew the scriptures. Um, But he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so it's not simply just reading the scriptures for information or knowledge. It's you have to search the scriptures to know Christ, to know the Lord. These things are spiritually discerned. And so I encourage you, whenever you open, that's one of the things that there's always a danger in reading plans, reading plans, because you can get into the habit of just checking it off. I checked, I did it today, I did it today, I did it today. And some days it feels like that. You're just doing it out of obedience. But the goal is not just to do it today. The goal is to meet with God. And so that's why it's not about how much you read. It's about spending time with God. And so I'm going to get in the Word. It's about doing it daily. Not about necessarily completing it in a period of time, but doing it daily. And uh, spending time with God daily. But as you open your Scriptures, ask the Holy Spirit to give you spiritual understanding. I, I do this every time I read the Bible. I open it up. I'm doing the reading for the day. I open it up. I might say just a quick prayer. Holy Spirit, help me to understand. Holy Spirit, teach me. Help me to see how this applies. Help me to see how to be obedient to this. God, would you help me to see what you're trying to say? Open my eyes to see, because these things are spiritually discerned. So pray and ask God to, and then ask him to meet with you. God, I don't want this to just be an intellectual exercise. Please meet with me in these moments. 
show me. He continues in verse 13, We impart this wisdom, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So it's known, it's understood by the spiritual. Who are the spiritual? Well, he's not referring to the postmodern, post-enlightenment, anti-religion, spiritual people. I don't believe in religion, I'm just spiritual. I'm just a spiritual person. I believe in the earth. Like I pray every day to the trees. Um, okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the, the people who label themselves as spiritual um, because they're anything but spiritual. Even in that view, naturalistic, well, you're, you're a natural person. You believe in the earth and the trees, and uh, that's all there is. And so that's naturalistic, not spiritual at all, actually. No, the spiritual person is in contrast to the natural person. The spiritual person in this context is the person who has uh, come to know Christ and been filled with the Spirit, has the Spirit of God. Did you know that every person at the moment of conversion, as you place your faith in Christ, as you were born again, you were saved, you were given the Holy Spirit. He unites with your spirit. Romans 8 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, how do I know if He dwells in me? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you do not have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Therefore, if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit. And so he means the person who is led by the Spirit is the person who's come to faith in Christ, been filled with the Spirit, but then bears fruit of the Spirit. We don't have time to get into all of this, but in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 6, 1, Paul calls believers to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and to bear fruit of the Spirit. So it's not simply the person who confesses Christ to get their ticket to heaven. It's the person who, I have confessed Christ, I'm filled with the Spirit, but now I'm pursuing Christ through holy living, that I'm bearing fruit of the Spirit, fruit of godly character in my life. Now the natural person uh, does not accept this. The natural person does not accept the things of God, verse 14, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural, natural man, the, the ancient Greek word for this um, describes the materialist who lives as though there were nothing beyond the physical life. It's the kind of life that is available to all animals, that we all, you know, we're all just physical. This word means one whose mindset or behavior is natural, governed by purely human impulses rather than by the Spirit. The natural person lives primarily for this life. Isaiah 47, 10 says, You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. As you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. 
He's like, your human wisdom has led you to believe that this is all there is. That it terminates in this life. They don't believe there's anything else other than now. It is wisdom. There's some, things, there's some helpful things about human wisdom. But it's nearsightedly wise. No regard for what's ahead. This quote from D.L. Moody has, has been really helpful for me. He said, The Christian on his knees can see farther than the philosopher on his tiptoes. What? Well, it's because the natural philosopher only sees as far as his life. The Christian, though, on his knees can see into eternity. It's like, yeah, your wisdom is, is so short-sighted, so naturalistic. There's something more than all of this. That he's not able, he says, he's not able to understand. So don't get mad when natural people act like natural people. Why aren't they doing, well, they're natural people. You don't get mad at the blind person who can't see. You don't get mad at the tourist for not speaking the language. Maybe you do, I don't know. But, I mean, you can understand it. They're here from out of country. They don't understand. They need interpretation. You don't get mad at them for that. They don't speak the language. And so he's like, the natural person doesn't speak the language. It's hidden from them. They don't understand it. These things are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, he says, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. This is a hard verse because judge is a dirty word in our culture. You don't judge anybody. How could he say that the spiritual person judges all things? <gasps> what? Spiritual person judges all things? This word is less about being judgmental. None of us are ever to be judgmental. What he's saying is that the spiritual person exercises right judgment about all things. This word means like discernment, that the spiritual person discerns all things. He examines all things, investigates all things. The person without the spirit or the natural person rejects what the spirit teaches because it requires spiritual examination. But on the other hand, the spiritual man interrogates all things, discerns all things in what the Spirit teaches. And it says that he's judged by no one. He himself is judged by no one. This doesn't mean that the spiritual person is not criticized, rightfully so, or it doesn't mean that the spiritual person is not held accountable for their actions. He's not saying that at all. It means that without the Spirit, the world cannot have right judgment of spiritual matters. They don't understand you. They don't understand how you live and why you think the way that you think and why you behave the way that you do. They don't understand it. It's like a blind person judging art or a deaf person judging a singing competition. The spiritual person is not equipped to be able to judge spiritual matters. And therefore, um, 
is judged, you're judged by no one because they are not equipped for it. Verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord? So to instruct him, but we have this mind. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up as we uh, close in worship. But he says, who understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I think this just needs to say, hey, um, if, you, if you ever get the idea that you are um, this spiritual elite person, that you have the secret knowledge that no one else has, if you begin to get puffed up by this knowledge, uh, just remember, um, like take a little dose of humility. Be careful how you try to tell God to do his job. Who can judge? Who can understand the mind of the Lord to instruct him? God, you need to do it this way. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. Even though the mind of Christ is given to us when we come to Christ, he still says in Philippians 2, chapter 5, about adopting the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves that is in Christ Jesus. So think and behave and act like Christ. Let me just ask you, as we're closing, um, do you have the mind of Christ? What I mean by that is have you adopted the thinking of Christ? Do you, do you think about all things the way that Christ would think about it? Do you seek to filter your decisions through the filter of what, what would Christ do about this? Do you desire the things that Christ desires? Do you love the thing that Christ loves? Do you, are you adopting the mind of Christ in your life daily? Why does all this even matter? What's the point of all this? It matters because those who do not accept the wisdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ are doomed to perish, is what he says here. They're doomed to perish. That those who do humbly receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and grow in their love for his wisdom, it's those who will experience his glory and eternal life. And so eternity weighs in the balance here. God's, God does have wisdom, and it's the best type of wisdom. God has wisdom that is hidden from the world because it's spiritually discerned. And it's revealed to us by the Spirit through his apostles and his word. And it is known and experienced and understood and comprehended by those who are spiritual, who have the Spirit of God living inside of them. Do you have the Spirit of God living inside of you? Father in heaven, I, I thank you for our time in your word. God, I pray that, uh, God, that you would help us as we leave here by your Spirit to apply these things to our life, that we would pursue your wisdom by your Spirit and that you'd give us understanding. I pray that we trust uh, increasingly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray your spirit would fill us and help us to live by the spirit and walk by the spirit and be led by the spirit for the glory of God. We long for that day where we will experience you face to face. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.